When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. She's so fierce from the very beginning. It was never a question about, like, was she capable? Mm. You know, she's she meets every single match just so head on. She's just there's no hesitancy from her whatsoever. And that's really different from someone who's learning martial arts in their 40s who's trying to protect their face. And so, (laughs) you know, it was just like to have that moment. I, I remember when it clicked in where I really felt grounded in her and and some of the stuff started feeling more familiar and seamless and then that's when I really felt like I locked into Ahsoka because I think her physicality is a tremendous part of who she is. Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome to the Dig of a Dispatch. And if this week's episode is music to your ears... It's for a good reason, because this week we are going to count down the 15 best Star Wars songs, or the, at least the alleged 15 best Star Wars songs. We're not talking songs about Star Wars, so no Weird Al to be found here today, sadly, but rather music from the movies and TV shows, perhaps. My illustrious co-host and former orchestra member is going to present her list, and you and I will see if we agree or want to throw it in the Death Star trash compactor room. And speaking of illustrious, we also have some illustrious guests this week as we are joined by none other than Ahsoka stars Rosario Dawson, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and Natasha Liu Bordizo. That's right, Ahsoka, Hera, and Sabine will be here with us to talk about the new show coming our way this summer and bringing those beloved characters to live action, well, life. So much goodness to get to, so let's get to it. I am Dalton Ross. Joined by the maestro herself, Devin Kogan. What's going on, Devin? What a what an illustrious uh, introduction. Yeah. I'll take it. Um, no, I'm really excited for this episode. You and I have been talking about doing this episode for a long time, about talking about Star Wars music. Um, and we wanted to make sure we, you know, gave it the right amount of thought and time and and gave, set aside some, some time to do some arguing. So I, I have a feeling there might be some arguing today, but um, I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, I feel very passionately about a few entries, um, and um, we'll we'll see where they end up on on Devin's list. At least, like I know with Devin, with your background in music, uh, that you uh, you know I feel I feel good about you doing this list. I feel like good about the Thank source. You. You're not just some you know some jabroni out here just like throwing together a list. You love Star Wars. You maybe played some of these songs uh, before, so you're coming into it with a high level of expertise, which I like. Thank you. I'll take I'll take that. I don't get to claim expertise in a lot of the stuff we we talk about. I'm no expert in lightsabers or or you know starfighter piloting. But this is one thing that I, I you know I the, for me I part of what makes Star Wars so magical and part of why I fell in love with it in the first place is the music. I think that you know specifically in the original trilogy, John Williams' score does so much heavy lifting to make 
so much of that original trilogy really resonate and make it really emotionally powerful. And so I, I think there is no Star Wars without without its music. And I, I've it was kind of fun putting together this list, and we'll get into it a little bit because. Um, we kind of wanted to cast a wide net and talk a little bit about the films, but there's also been some really interesting stuff that's been happening in the television space um, with bringing in some new composers. So I, I think it's it's kind of a fun time to to talk about it because I feel like the the sounds of the galaxy have you know kind of expanded a little bit in recent years. Yes, and uh, I'm excited. We're going to get into it right now. Just just a note, though. Again, uh, we've got Rosario Dawson, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and Natasha Leo Bordizo from Ahsoka on with us this week. It's an awesome interview. And if you're a fan of Hera, Sabine, or the title character, you're going to want to check that out. And we will get into that after we deep dive into these musical cues. And uh, so Devin made a list ranked of the top 15 songs from any Star Wars property. And we're, we're going to go through the sort of the top 10 a little more in depth. And we've got, we've got some cuts to play for you from the song. So in case you're curious, wait, what does that one sound like again? We can refresh your memory. Well, I was, I was going to say, we'll talk a little quicker through the 11 through 15, but you know, after I was so nice to Devin in the intro, um, <laughs> we'll see if that extends past number 15 on this list because we're going to have to have a discussion about this. And of all the things that struck me in your list, and obviously, you know, your top five is the most important sort of portion of it. I was struck by your choice for number 15. And I don't know if you're doing this to troll me or if this is like a hot take or what's going on here. But why don't, why don't you explain your 15th pick for the best Star Wars song ever? So number 15, um, this this is a hot take, I will say, but I I do feel good about it and I do stand behind it. Um, so for number fifteen, uh, I picked "Victory Celebration" from "Return of the Jedi," uh, which is the track that replaced Yubnub in the end of "Return of the Jedi" when they've blown up the the second Death Star, the Emperor's dead, um, everybody's having a party on on um, uh, on Endor. And uh, this is this is the song that was recorded, composed by John Williams, but recorded for the new um, for the new re-release for the special editions of of Return of the Jedi. And this is, for my money, the one good change that the special editions made was replacing Yub Nub, uh, because. It's just, I, I don't care for it. I think it's awkward. We've talked a lot on this show about the Ewoks and how, you know, your mileage may vary on what you think of the Ewoks. I feel like Yubnub was a little too Ewoky for me. Uh, but I think Victory Celebration is a much better piece of music. It's a little bit more melancholy, which I think is a little bit more appropriate for the situation. Like, we blew up the Death Star and the Emperor is dead and yay, we can have a celebration. But there is a little bit more kind of a melancholy vibe to this this piece that I, I think works a little bit better for the moment emotionally than just a bunch of Ewoks dancing around and shouting yub-nub. There's still a lot of Ewoks dancing around um, <laughs> in Victory Celebration. But I, I think it's a little – this this for me, this piece of music fits the moment a little bit more and works better as a storytelling device. But that being said, I know there are a lot of purists out there, Dalton who, being who one me? of them. Who me? Um, uh, so yeah, that those are that was my reasoning. Did I right. manage to sway you, or are you still? You're not, really you're not even close. You're not even like, even the same <laughs> area code. Uh, we're, we'll, we'll do we'll do like a side by side. We'll have to play both clips, and we'll let we'll let the listeners decide. But I was thinking about it. How is this uh, an era thing? Because I'm guessing, and correct me if I'm wrong, like 
Victory Celebration is your Return of the Jedi, right? Like now the first time you saw Return of the Jedi, I'm guessing was Victory Celebration or you're so young that you didn't really yub nub didn't have a chance to really register. I was I was super young and I I think I saw the yub nub version. Um I'll have to double check that, but I'm I'm pretty sure I saw that's the version that I saw. But growing up the one that I would rewatch over and over again, the one that we had on VHS was the Victory Celebration version. Um now I think there's a lot of, you know, music like there's a lot of music replacement that doesn't work also in return of the jedi you have yeah. um uh you know jedi rocks and and what's the original one lopty neck yeah. um and everything that happens in jabba's palace that i think doesn't work but for me i think victory celebration works just emotionally it had like it, i keep coming back to this sense of like melancholy i think it 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 works for the moment a little bit more than just the pure like Ewok party vibes of of Yubnub. I mean, Yubnub, again, you might be right. It might be a generational thing, but for me, this works. Yubnub is goofy. I mean, it's silly. It's ridiculous. There's Ewoks singing like a nonsense language. Um, but it, this I'll say, and we'll, we will play them in a second. But at least it has some character. Like to me, Victory Celebration is just so. <gasps> I, I know it doesn't do anything for me that you say it does for you. It feels bland. It feels warmed over. It feels nausea. And this could be just the old guy, like get off my lawn. You're not my Star Wars. I try to keep an open mind on the changes uh, and not just be stuck in that sort of like mode of thinking. But I really just find Victory Celebration honestly really bland, and I'm sure it's sort of colored by my missing Yubna, but. Let's 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 do them back. Let's do a side by side and see if Sammy can kill. Let's start with the original, if we can. And this is how Return of the Jedi originally ended. Now, I'm not saying it's a great song, but I'm just saying I mean, I'm saying it does capture the Ewoks. It you know like you got Lando Calrissian sitting there like clapping out of out of time because um, <laughs> who knows what they're actually playing for the actual dancing when they were out there. But like it just it just got a little little character to it and i appreciate that this is this is the uh now deleted yum nub i mean how are you gonna diss that how are you gonna diss and dismiss like that a- like, oh, yeah, like, bah, 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 bah. like an excerpt from Fraggle Rock or something. It's, I know. It's it, terrible. It's terrible. Well, I'm hold sorry, on Dalton. a second. I mean, listen, it does feel vaguely yabba dabba do. Like there's some Flintstones <laughs> in there, I think, <laughs> I think at some point. But it 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 I mean, terrible. That's that's so harsh. I mean, at least it's something. Like it stands out, right? And you might say in a bad way. Um, but and Lord knows I'm no fan of the Ewoks. But Yubnub is like iconic. Like everyone remembers Yubnub. Maybe it's because of the stupid title. Now, well, actually, I mean, fun fact: it's not actually called Yubnub. That's it's true. actually it's called, called Ewok, Ewok Celebration. Yeah, Ewok Celebration. Well, we everybody just calls it Yubnub because uh, everyone calls it Yubnub. That's what you think of when you think of that song. You're like, right, so that's now, what it's called. Now let's let's play what replaced it, ladies and gentlemen, and and members of the jury. This is Victory Celebration. Literally, I fell asleep. I literally fell asleep in just that 10-second clip. 
It sounds like like warmed over Najee or some sort of just like new agey, just BS. I mean, come uh, on, that doesn't get you excited, Devin. It, it doesn't. That's not the point. It's supposed to be this like moment of like we defeated the empire. Oh my god! It's like there's there's this like kind of emotional moment. You know, I think that the a good score it shouldn't overshadow what's happening on screen. And I think Yubnub is just too it's it's too dissonant. It's too much is happening. Just doesn't work for me. I'm I am team victory celebration all the way. Um, but I I mean if anybody feels differently, I mean come yell at us on social media. I mean are, do you have my, do you take my side or do you take Dalton's side? No every, team Yubnub or team uh, victory celebration. I'm confident this is one you I mean Sammy's texting me right now and they say they're <laughs> on my side. Uh, if they could get on mic right now, I'm confident that Sammy would be team Yubnub 100p. Um, I mean, honestly, by, by even putting victory celebration in your list, it throws your entire list into question, Devin. And like I said, wow. I've got, I've got a lot of respect for some of the other selections you made. And then you just end it with this, this victory celebration BS. And like, now you got me thinking about Gungans because there's Gungans in that scene and Naboo celebrating. And I just don't know. And a weird shot of Coruscant. Like, I don't know. Yeah, fireworks, I don't care for of any fireworks. of the additional shots there. But I uh, like, or they're like, you know, I get what they mean. It's like a celebration across the galaxy. That's why they renamed it from Ewok Celebration to Victory Celebration. But like, well, whatever. But I think musically, it gives me that same sort of like, we're in the forest, we're having a party with some Ewoks vibe, but without the Ewoks, like, constantly shouting yep now about you and there's like some chanting later on in the in the piece that you know we did an excerpt i'm i'm team victory celebration all the way the only good change made in the special editions all right so you know definitely let us know how you feel like you can (laughs) you know i always say if you leave a review we'll we'll try to read the review on the pod leave a review with your like take on whether it's victory celebration or yubnub so we can read that on the air and one of us will be very unhappy all right that was number (laughs) 15 we talked way too much about that i'll let you sort of just jam through uh, 11 through 14 here Devin. Yeah, so 11 through 14, we've got a lot of television um, in here. And this is where the list gets kind of interesting, um, you know, because we, for for such a long time, everything Star Wars was just John Williams all the time. And we're going to talk a lot about John Williams as we get into the top 10. Um, But I wanted to make sure to call out some of the there's been a lot of really interesting Star Wars music happening on the television side of things and happening on the Disney Plus side of things. Um, you've brought in, brought in some really incredible composers. Um, you've got Nicholas Bertel, who did the music for Andor. Um, you've got Ludwig Göransson, who did the music for The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett. And you've even got the return of John Williams, um, who, did a, who did a score for uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. So that's actually our number 14. We have the Obi-Wan Kenobi theme. As a theme, I don't think it stands out tremendously but it's really moving to have John Williams come back. And I think it really fits very well with sort of the tone of that show and, and specifically that character. It's, it's a really fun story that, that John Williams has told a bunch where he was having a chat with Kathleen Kennedy around his 90th birthday, which was last year. Um, and basically he was like, you know, there's one character I've never written any, I never wrote a theme for, and that's Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, and so he wrote it for the show. And I think it's, it's, I'm, I'm sort of soft on the show, but really, really love the theme. Um, at number 13, again, we have Ludwig Goranson um, with the book of Boba Fett theme, mediocre show, 
bop of a of a theme. It's it's got like these awesome drums and some chanting and like it's just it's very fun. Very very into it. Um and then at number 12, uh another TV show, we've got the Andor theme by Nicholas Bertel, which is actually really interesting because if you listen to Andor, it doesn't have the same theme in every single episode. It's the same melody, but it changes uh from episode to episode and it kind of builds and swells as this like revolution gets off the ground, which I think is kind of a cool storytelling device. Um, and then finally, at number 11, uh, we got another Andor one, which is the uh, Neomos Morlana Club mix. So this is when Cassie and Andor goes to that like Neomos, which I'm, I'm butchering the pronunciation of, but it's like that beach planet where he gets arrested and it's this whole thing. Oh, yeah. um, but there's like this this club music that's like kind of synthy and kind of Blade Runner-y. And I, it's a bop. It's like the whole song is only like a minute 40 and I listen to it all the time. It's like... <laughs> It rules. Nicholas Bertel is the guy who does does the famous succession theme, and he's an incredible, you know, TV and score composer right now. Um, and this is just one where I'm like, I love the kind of synthy, futuristic vibes. I feel like so much of what we think about when we think about Star Wars music is John Williams, and it's like the beautiful horns and like the sweeping orchestral suite and stuff like that. But I love when they get a little bit more kind of synthy, sci-fi, dystopian, and I think that's something that Andor does really, really well. I really like the score for Andor. So again, we have a lot of television in the bottom half of this list. Dalton, what did you think about, you know, some of these non, you know, bringing in some some new voices into the yeah, I think sounds of the galaxy? I think you're on the money here. I think there's a lot of good, good music in Andor. I think you're right that the Book of Boba that theme is, is strong and the Obi-Wan Kenobi theme is probably more, you know, just sort of like it's we're, we're giving that a legacy prize a little bit, right? Like it's not John Williams uh, at the top of his game necessarily on that song, but he's still doing it at that age. And like it just felt so great to have him composing that song. So we give him sort of an honorary award there at number 14. So I, I feel that all all works pretty well. And I'm glad that you didn't sort of necessarily inflate any of them past where they should be, but that you also recognize them on, on the list. Uh, so let's get into the top 10. And I, maybe the way we should do this is, um, why don't you announce what it is as we go from 10 up to one, and then we can play the clip so people can kind of familiarize themselves with the music. And then you could talk a little about it and why it is a major list and where it is. Sounds good. So for number 10, we're going to start with a prequel trilogy uh, with one of the great pieces from, from the prequel trilogy, which is the classic love theme, Across the Stars. Oh, it's so good. Before the show started, we were talking to Sammy, our producer, and they were like, oh, I was getting emotional just just pulling that clip. It's look, we all know how we feel about the Anakin Padme romance. Um, it's flat. It doesn't work. Uh, performances, they try their best, but it's not there. But man, does the music slap. It really, if you want to sell like an epic sweeping romance, like burn the galaxy down to make this, you know, for the person you love, that is the the piece of music to do it. It is so good. I know a lot of people who would probably put this in their top five and are horrified that it's down at number 10. Um, but I think that just speaks to, you know, how strong all of the, the Star Wars music is across the board. What about you, Dalton? How do you feel about Across the Stars here? I think you have it in the right spot. And I agree. I think it's a, a song that's better than the scenes that it plays over. Uh, there's that one point, I can't remember what it is, where it starts to, to, to uh, the crescendo comes in, like it, it 
for some reason, the music cuts out for a second. I can't remember what it is, but there's some reason something happens, which I always thought was kind of funny. The way it sort of builds, 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 and kind of stops all of a sudden. But it's yeah, it's a, it's a sweeping song, uh, sweeping epic love story music that just unfortunately didn't have the sweeping epic love story to support it. So I, I like that. I like the fact that you're recognizing some great music that really demanded some maybe better writing because i do agree with you i think it's the writing ultimately in that scene that was the issue not the performances or anything else yeah i think it's a lot of people who are like i love the padme and anakin love story it's like how much do you love it when there's not a john williams score playing behind it because i think it does so much of the heavy lifting and that's true throughout the prequels and we're going to get into a little bit more prequel music as we move up the list um but for number 10 it's across the stars yeah i think it's a good good pick and i I, i'll just say right now i love your number nine Number nine is a really fun one. Um, I think it is the only TV piece of music that we have in the top 10. Um, but it is the uh, Mandalorian theme, once again, by our boy Ludwig Gorenson. Oh, it's so good. It is one of the few like theme songs on television that I don't skip through. I mean, like I'm, I love a theme song. I don't always skip the the, end, the opening credits when I when I watch television. But there's a lot of them where I'm like, I don't need to sit and listen to this over and again. But I always listen to the Mandalorian theme. I always let the credits play at the end because it's just it's great. I think it fits the show perfectly. I think it feels Star Wars while also feeling like something fresh and new. You know, they talked. They, they talk a lot about comparing the Mandalorian to a Western. I think it has kind of that very much like a little bit of like good, bad and the ugly kind of whistling kind of kind of vibes to it. I love the drums, um, but it also feels Star Wars. You've got that horn and those strings, which, again, is very John Williams. Um, but like you hear that and you immediately think Mandalorian. Um, so it sounds like you're also happy with having this at number nine. Yeah, I listen, I love Westerns uh, outside of the often sort of a dicey subject matter that doesn't necessarily hold up today's, but just like right. the vibe and tone of a Western I love. Um, my wife went away the other weekend. I literally just every night watch different Westerns, like you know, mm. Tombstone one night, Wagon Master another. She wore a yellow ribbon the third night. I'm the guy that's actually – in the midst now of rewatching, I think for like a third time, Heaven's Gate, considered by oh many God. one of the worst <laughs> movies ever made. Uh, but like, that's just the way I am. Um, so I, I, I love the theme because it's everything you just said. It has that sort of gunslinger Western vibe, which of course we know is the vibe of the show. Um, and, and what they were trying to recreate with the Mandalorian here, and which is Boba Fett was originally, you know, based sort of on that whole Clint Eastwood gunslinger. And obviously the Mandalorian was kind of a stand in for that character when it first started. So great theme. They nailed it. They nailed the tone. And it just like when that pops up after the cold open, then you get that, that, you know, chapter or whatever. And that music comes in, it just hits so perfectly. Love it. It's good. And it's one of the few, like you get a lot of orchestral theme songs nowadays that don't have lyrics. Um, and it's one of the ones, but immediately is recognizable from just like a f- few seconds. Like you can hum it, you, you know, you find somebody on the street and you're like, sing the Mandalorian theme song and they can do it because it's, it's one of those ones that sticks in your head and is, is so memorable, which is really hard to do when you're competing, when you're working in the Star Wars universe and you're competing against John Williams, who is arguably the master of like hummable, singable, um, you know, melodies. And so I, I, I can't give enough props to, to Ludwig Gorenson. He's an incredible um, 
uh, composer. He did the Black Panther soundtrack. I mean, he's he's an he's an amazing guy, and and I love what he's sort of done to bring into the Star Wars universe. So that is our number nine. Yeah, and it works really well at those end credits with sort of the uh, you know Ralph McQuarrie like paintings that they do at the end from the episode. Just works great. We get to hear more of the theme. Um, all right, I, I have a feeling we're heading back to the big screen for number eight here. We are. So for number eight, we are going to Empire Strikes Back, which is no surprise, a masterpiece. And we're going to go with, uh, there's a lot of themes. One, there's a lot of individual character themes on this list. That's something that John Williams is really great at, where sort of all of the main characters kind of get their own theme. Um, and this is one of the ones introduced in Empire Strikes Back, and it is a classic, and this is Yoda's theme. Why do we have to stop it? It's so good. It's so I, good. I, I, I can hear Yoda speaking while I listen to that music. Like I can hear his speech um, to Luke. It's luminous it's, beings, are we? Oh, it's, it's so great. It's so good. It's it's one of those ones where um, you know we we talk about Empire Strikes Back as being one of the greatest movies of all time, and musically it is extraordinary. Um, I think you know John Williams it was specifically when with like the the use of the force, the way they use music to talk uh, to sort of undercut, you know, when when Yoda's lifting up the X wing from the swamp, and and you hear this theme kind of play. It just like it's it adds to this sense of magic and wonder, and like, oh my god, there's a talking puppet, and he's in a swamp, and he's like lifting an X wing, and it's crazy. But the music sells it, and it it makes it oh, it just it's amazing. It just brings warmth to your heart. It's kind of crazy the way Yoda works so well. Like, you know... Should Ewok, not work. Right. The Ewoks worked for kids when it came out, but like adults were a little like, all right, you know. And Yoda, how Yoda managed to delight both kids and adults, independent of that, like every decision they made with Yoda, the way they introduced him, um, his wacky backwards speak, uh, the the music, just like everything just combined to make this character just so memorable in so many ways. And like when you hear about, well, we're going to have this puppet and this puppet has a jet and he's kind of goofy at first. He's going through Luke's. It's like, it just sounds like, oh my God, no, 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 no. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. But it works so well. It's like that guy that throws up a, a, a you know, a, a, when Steph Curry warning incoming sports metaphor coming <laughs> when he throws up a shot from like half court, you're like, no, no, no. Then you're like, yes, yes, yes. When he makes it like, that's essentially what it is. It's great. Uh, it's yeah, and and I think everything about I think you're right. Everything about Yoda should not work. Um, you know, it's a poet, it's a puppet who talks weird and like gets introduced after this like you know huge incredible first movie, and oh, you're in it, create in, introduce this entirely new character in the sequel. Um, but so much of it works. I think the music, I think um, the puppetry performance, I think the fact that he's practical as opposed to, you know, CGI. I think um, Mark Hamill sells it so well, you know, interacting with this puppet. And I think Frank Oz's performance is really, really extraordinary. And so oh, I just get emotional listening to, mm. to Yoda's theme. We love Yoda. And yet Yoda. it's only down at number eight. So very curious to see what we got coming up above it. Uh, let's go to number seven. Uh oh, Devin's going to the sequel series here. We are. We are going ahead to the sequel series. I think this is the only sequel series um, track that we have on this list. Um, once again, we have John Williams back uh, composing. 
And uh, this is one is from The Force Awakens. And this is, look, the music in the in the sequel trilogy is great, but a lot of times it is just a remix or it's referencing so much of what happened in the original trilogy. You hear elements of the Imperial March or you hear elements of, you know, Binary Sunset or some of these incredible, you know, pieces that you think of when you think of, of Star Wars. This is one of the few pieces of, new original music it's again it's another theme for a character that immediately stuck in my head the first time i saw this movie and is one of my favorite parts of um the sequel trilogy and that is uh ray's theme at number seven God, the disrespect that Sammy shows for Yoda on this sh- show, they only give Yoda like five <laughs> seconds. And then that Ray gets. Like, <laughs> I told them which clips to pull. Um, but uh, that's Ray's theme uh, from when we first meet her uh, in The Force Awakens. And I, I just love this piece of music. It's like you, this is what plays when she's like sliding down the sands of Jakku and she's exploring the, um, the, the down Star Destroyer. And it's, it just gives this sort of like, it, it feels kind of in the same vibe as like Yoda's theme or Luke's theme or some of these other themes where it has that sort of mystical kind of quality to it. I love the kind of like little flute that you hear like at the beginning. And I, I, I don't know, I just immediately fell in love with this one. It, it immediately introduces like, this is who this character is. This is what she's about. It rocks. And then we hear it kind of throughout the rest of the sequel trilogy, you know, kind of referenced at different points as, as Ray goes on her journey. So Dalton, what do you think about this one as the yeah. only piece of sequel trilogy music on the uh, list? I think you picked the right sequel song. I probably would put it below Mando and Yoda if I'm going to sort of you know nitpick here, but I love the song as well. I'm a sucker for like bells or a gong. Anytime yes. you have like <laughs> bells or a gong, like I clearly... I mean, the problem was in sixth grade, they said, everyone pick an instrument. I picked the trombone and I was terrible at it. And then I quit band. I should have probably been in like the percussion department or something. So I could like hit the bells or like hit a big gong or, you know, something or other big cymbal clap. I don't know. Um, And I think that works really well. And and I had the exact visual you just mentioned, Devin, of her sliding down the sand as I heard that song. And you're right. they, They utilize it really well in the rest of the trilogy. Like again, I probably would have had it a few uh, a few slots down, but but that's a minor quibble. I'm glad it's on your list. That's fair. You're wrong, but that's fair. <laughs> uh, so I guess next we're going to go to our fourth straight song with the word theme in the title. There's a lot of them. It's it's a lot of them. Um, you know, John Williams, he loves a theme. He loves a motif. Um, and uh, number six is one of the great ones, one of my favorites. Uh, this one is, uh, we're getting into a lot of new hope. You know, I think, you know, it's kind of hard to not talk about a new hope as, as one of the greatest, you know, scores of all time. Um, but this one is for one of my personal favorite characters. Uh, it's for Leia. This is Leia's theme at number six. Thank you. 
Ah, oh, it's so good. Can't you just think of, you know, uh, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? And the first <laughs> time Luke sees Leia and the, it plays and it's just, it has this sort of magical quality to it. I don't know what instrument that is. I think it's a French horn, um, yes. but it's like so beautiful and lovely. And just immediately you hear that and you think of Carrie Fisher and it rules. I love, again, I love the way it's used all throughout the original trilogy, all throughout the sequel trilogy, it's used to great effect. Um, it's great. You hear little bits of it. One of the ones that I struggled to, to I almost kept on the list, but ultimately cut it is um, Han Solo and the Princess, which is uh, one of the great moments from Empire Strikes Back. Uh, sort of the, we talked about Across the Stars being the great love theme. It's sort of the great love theme for Han Solo and Leia, but it sort of just like extrapolates a lot of Leia's theme into it. You can kind of hear the similarities. So I decided ultimately, you know, we had enough on this list and, and just to go with Leia's theme, but um, it's one of my favorites. It's so good. Uh, it is a French horn. Uh, my son, who's a French horn player, um, I remember played in the New Jersey Youth Orchestra, Symphony Orchestra, and um, and the guy was saying how Star Wars has so much great French horn music. It's really yes. heavy on the horn, uh, and they did they did a few songs, and it was it was great. As for this song, I guess this is my hot take. Eh. <gasps> like I know, I just I mean, here's the deal. I'm not dissing it, Devin, but I'm trying to separate it from the memories in my mind of these great scenes, right? I don't think the song's bad, but as a song on its own without the footage underneath to make you swoon or stand up or do whatever, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Like, here's what I'm going to say. Is Across the Stars better? Like, just as a song? Like, is that – I never would have thought that. But that's why I want to hear these songs now and these clips because, like – just as a song on its own is across the stars better. I never would have thought I'd say that, but like, eh, Leia's theme, wow. like, fine. I see. Here's my take. I think there's no across the stars without Leia's theme. I think that there's like, fair. I think that it's like sort of the natural progression. And one is like very simple. It's like, you know, it's just sort of a melody and one is like sweeping orchestra and like, you know, oh my gosh. And there's like percussion and all of this, you know, big drama full, you know, band behind it. Um, and I think the, I think the melody of Leia's theme is just so good. It's one of my favorites. Well, so, well, what we'll you're do, wrong, but okay. I, I, I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. <laughs> let's, let's go through four and five and then maybe we'll stop because, um, there's a song that I definitely would have put on this list, which you know what it is, uh, over Leia's theme. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about that, but maybe af- in between three and four. Because the top three, I think there's an- another interesting discussion to have on those. So okay. let, let's – I'll tell you the song I easily would have put in over Leia's theme. But let's talk about five and four first before we get there uh, to see uh, – so then I can you know see – you, you can guess what's, what's Dalton's song he would have put on this list. Let's, let's get to number five, which is uh, okay. a classic. A number five, also going back to A New Hope, um, the song that sounds perhaps the most different from any, everything on this list, but is immediately Star Wars, and immediately you hear it and are, are transported to a galaxy far, far away. Uh, picture this. We're on Tatooine. It's dusty. It's You've had a long day working on the moisture farm. You go, you're really thirsty. You go to your favorite cantina, and oh my God, you're so excited. Figrin Dan and the modal nodes are playing at the cantina. <laughs> this is uh, number five, the cantina band theme.
John Williams, he went off, man. It is so good. The Cantina Band. I mean, there's also Justice for Cantina Band number two, which is the <laughs> second piece of music that plays uh, later in the Cantina scene. Um, but this is incredible. This immediately sets the scene. We are in this wretched hive of scum and villainy surrounded by aliens. There's this incredible weird alien band playing on stage. Uh, Figrin Dan is too good to be playing in, in the backwaters of, of uh, Moss Eisley. This song is incredible. I love everything about it. It's so good. I have no notes. What about you, Dalton? Well, first off, uh, I noticed you said, uh, you know, you didn't say justice for B. Arthur and her song in the cantina <laughs> during the Star Wars holiday special for B. Arthur. I kind of tried to block that out of my mind. Yeah, you're not the only one. Um, it's 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 kind of like, it's hard to explain unless you were, uh, unless you're an old fogey like me and can, like we're a little kid when this movie came out, how big and important this scene was because now it's kind of like you know it's been oft imitated a million times even in other star wars movies just yeah. like put a bunch of weird creatures from a costume shop in a room together and like and but it was like this was one of the 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 standout scenes of the movie that everyone talked about this was an actual they released this as a single this song was a single you had this and then you had the disco version of the star wars main title were like these two singles that were like big hits i mean and it was just so fun. I mean, it was this one of the signature songs. There really are three signature songs, kind of like, and this was this was one of them. And um, classic. You put on five seconds of it, everyone knows what it is, and you're immediately in that cantina with them, and like standing next to some dude with a weird like devil costume that for some reason they put in the movie, which makes no sense. Uh, Somebody's getting their arm chopped off in the corner. You know, yeah, exactly. Of a sizzling over in the yeah. other booth. But it's fun. Like you said, it's unlike everything else on this list. And it's unlike everything else really in the kind of almost entire Star Wars, except for some of this stuff in Jabba's Palace, which you referenced earlier. But that's just super fun, right? It's just like a super fun, silly song with weird aliens playing bizarre instruments. Love it. Definitely, definitely deserving of top five status. Thank you. I think it's it's perfect and it's it's right where it where it needs to be. I mean you botched um, the Leia's theme, but you made up for it with Cantina. Okay, band, so okay. that's where we're at. Um so all right. So at number four, we're going back to another theme. We love a theme. Uh this one isn't technically assigned to a character, but it is most closely associated with our boy, Luke Skywalker. Um this it's referred to by a, a billion different names. They call it the binary sunset theme. The force theme, uh, but this is the the you know the the music that plays when young Luke Skywalker is standing on Tatooine, staring out at the at the twin suns. Um, this is the binary sunset force theme. chills it's so yeah. good it's so it's, incredible it's, it's great it's great i mean it's 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 perfect it's perfect yet didn't even make the top three and i agree with you for not making the top three that's how great all this music that's how is. great this this, this music is i mean for in any other franchise this would be a number one and and that just speaks to to star wars and how how deep the bench is but i love everything about this it it captures this sort of like wistful yearning of being Luke. It has this sort of like mystical quality to it that lends itself really well to the force. It has kind of like a heroic 
arc to it. I love the way it builds. It starts kind of simple and, and you get this like swelling orchestra behind it. Um, I love the way it's used throughout the rest of the trilogy, even in the sequel trilogy. Um, it's one of the great pieces of, of film score music of all time. And it immediately takes you back to like standing on Tatooine with Luke Skywalker, staring out at the twin sons. And it's, it's so good. It's so good. I feel like maybe more than any other song in this entire franchise, this is like the heart of the franchise is this, yes. this song, you know what I mean? Like it just sort of encapsulates. there's other songs that we're going to get to that very specifically lean to some sort of mood, this or that, but this, this is like the heart. Like you see Luke standing there with like sort of out there looking up at those two sons. I mean, you can just have that visual and it's just like, it is the force theme. And the force is that thing that just goes through the entire, you know, the uh, franchise and it's encapsulating the song. It's a, it's great. It's a great tune. And I think you have it in the perfect place at number four. And, and, and we'll talk about the top three in a second. Like if people want to put this in their top three, I wouldn't, I mean, I might argue a little, but I would totally understand, would totally yeah. understand why they did it. Um, it's incredible. All right. You're all right so what did, I, what yeah. did I miss? What is, what is your big quibble? So this is the only one. Now, I don't know if Sammy pulled audio on this or not, but what we're going to do is we're just going to like pause for it and like pretend it's there and, and they'll put it in later. So uh, listeners won't know whether we actually listen to it or not, uh, or we're just <laughs> pretending to listen to it. Uh, but either way, uh, if you're listening, you will hear it. And uh, you you know, you don't have anything from Return of the Jedi on here because I'm not going to include, I'm not going to count Victory Celebration. I'm just pretending that didn't exist. It's <laughs> not on your list. So I'm going to put a Jedi song in here. And I just feel like we need a little more space battle music, right? Like we got a lot of like themes going on here and they're all good and they're all great. We got some love story music happening. We got some weird cantina stuff. I just feel like give me some more sort of like action uh, you know, in the Millennium Falcon, trying to blow up a Death Star. And that's where I get to from Return of the Jedi. You and I may be pretending to listen to this now, Devin, but into the trap. Uh, I just oh. love it so much, and they're freaking out, and it's a trap, and like they're all the start, <laughs> they're all of a sudden they're pulling up and they're turning around, and all the Tie Fighters are coming in, and this music's playing. Oh, it's so good! It gets me so jazzed. I love it. It's this one's pretty great. This is it's it's pretty pretty great. I mean, and that's another thing is like you could just make an entire list that's just nothing but like original trilogy music because mm -hmm. I think this is so incredible. I love this one. I love um, like the trench run um, on the Death Star music in the original uh, A New Hope. Uh, there, there, you're right. There is some great like action scene scores in in specifically in the original trilogy that are just oh, incredible. So good. Makes you feel like you're like piloting an X wing. You know, flying through space. Uh, about to get blown up like Porkins. I um, basically, I um, I want to let everyone know we did listen to the music. Sammy actually put. We did. Actually. I could be lying. No one, <laughs> no one can fact check me. I could just be making Sammy look good for no reason. But but they actually did put the music in. That's how on the ball our producer is. Um, all right, so that's what I would have put in. And fair. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so. Top three songs. I want to stop here because Devin made this list with no input for yours truly. But 
I've always said that I thought there was a line, like there's three songs that are just so clearly the top three. And I've even myself kind of like, oh, how would I order these? How would I place them? And Devin had the same three. Now, whether she put them in the same order or not, we will now find out. But we do have the same top three. They're all perfect in different ways. I think you're right. I think any one of these three could be number one. And I think you could 100% make that argument. And people would be like, yeah, that's fair. I may disagree personally, but that's fair. You know, that's, there's, there's, these, these are three unimpeachable pieces of music. They are three of the most iconic film themes of all time, um, all by John Williams. Um, at number three, uh, we have, we're going back to the prequel trilogy. Um, and this is something you and I have to, we've talked a lot about on this show. We're not fans of the Phantom Menace. It has a lot of problems. We, we, there's, you know, many scenes that we, we don't care for or things that didn't work or, or things like that, but we all agree. And I think every Star Wars fan would agree that there is one perfect moment in the Phantom Menace and it is the Duel of the Fates. So this is at number three, Duel of the Fates. We could have played the whole thing, oh, to be honest. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It gets me so fired up. Like, that's the thing about this song. This this is what a dork I am, Devin. Like, I'm like a grown adult when this comes out. And I actually <laughs> was like, went out to like buy the soundtrack for the fan, just for this song. Just, I had to have this song. It was so good. They, I remember they, they put the music video out on mtv when it came out it was basically making of like stuff behind it, but then you just had the video it was so good it's so so great and and you're right and just with that light it's like this song with that lightsaber duel between darth <sighs> maul qui-gon and obi-wan is just maybe the best pairing of it is the best pairing of action and music in any star wars property ever Oh, hands down. I mean, it is so good. I, I've told this story before on the pod, but um, you know, last year at Star Wars Celebration, when they were getting ready to introduce Obi-Wan Kenobi, Lucasfilm kicked off their big panel with a full orchestra and a choir performing parts of Duel of the Fates. As, uh, and it was just everybody lost their minds. It was like being at a rock concert. Everybody, I like it was seeing like everybody was seeing Taylor Swift or Beyonce. Everybody just lost their minds because it is one of the greatest pieces of music ever written. It is. So good. And, it, and you're right. It gets you hyped and it has this like drama to it. You know, you have the, um, this is one of the few times we hear like a choir. Um, that's something yeah. you don't hear a lot of in, you know, the original trilogy outside of like a choir of Ewoks singing Yup Nup. Um, <laughs> but, taking, uh, taking a shot. Devin's still taking shots. <laughs> you know, still not, still not over that one. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it, oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, it, I mean, We talked about action scenes and this is arguably one of the greatest pieces of music for an action scene. I feel like every Star Wars fan, if you say Duel of the Fates, knows what you're talking about. But if you're not oh, a yeah. Star Wars fan, you probably don't know what Duel of the Fates means. If this song had been in like A New Hope, you know what I mean? Where it's just like, like it would be like one of the most iconic songs in all of you know film. It'd be up there with some of the other songs we maybe are about to get to and like the E.T. theme and Indiana Jones theme. It's just like, it's just that, that good. And um you know, probably would have been my number two. I go back and forth. I probably would have had it at number two. I will say this. 
what you have next at number two would be my number one. The, see, this is where it gets tricky. There are there are two options left. Um, and I struggled a lot with which one to put at number one and which one to put at number two, because I think you could make an argument for either of these. Yep. Um, I, again, I think, I think there's, there's no wrong answer here. Agreed. I ultimately went with the one that I think is more indicative of Star Wars as a whole at number one, but I think number two might be the m- biggest influence on pop culture. Um, it is, uh, it's my dad's ringtone whenever his office <laughs> calls him. It's this. So whenever he knows he's, he's getting a call and it's, it's bad news, it's this. Um, it is, uh, in, we talked about hummable, instantly hummable. Uh, number two is obviously from Empire Strikes Back, the Imperial March. It's so great. I have this on some CD somewhere where the CD is shaped like a Darth Vader helmet. Uh, <laughs> and I lost it and was really annoyed. And then I found it like kind of semi-recently. And like I literally started like jumping up and down like a 12-year-old. It was like I was so excited. It's so great. It's so just – I mean, I, you can't even like picture the movie and all those scenes without this song. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like – I mean, like you could make a case – and I guess I would because this is, would be my number one, but I agree with you that there's no wrong answer. But like that this is like the greatest movie score song of all. It tells you – I mean just like it tells you the entire story through the music. Now obviously we are conditioned to think of it with the visuals. But if you just heard the music and you're like what vibe is you giving? Is this giving you? And you're like, oh, this is giving me like just like evil army marching, you know – you know, whatever, whatever you want. This is, this is like, this is bad news coming down uh, with this music. And like, it just so perfectly encapsulates the empire. Yeah. The, the fact that it's not just like a theme, the fact that it's a march gives it a real like military quality. It gives it kind of like a fascist, almost Nazi quality, which is like a huge influence on the empire. Um, But it also has this like sense of drama and gravitas and, and, and kind of fear that, that Vader gives. And, and one of the interesting things is everybody always thinks that, oh, this was in a new hope and there are like elements of it. You can kind of hear like the early version of it, but what we think of as the true Imperial March um, didn't happen until empire strikes back. And I think it's it's iconic. It's so good. I, one of my early during early days during the pandemic, I, I picked up my violin again, and I, I decided to teach myself a couple pieces that I'd never really learned. So I ordered the sheet music for all of the Star Wars stuff. So I learned like across the stars and Yoda's theme. But the one that I had the most fun with was was the Imperial March because it's it's just so. Uh, but that's the other thing. It's like it's cold and it's it's harsh and it's a march, but it's also really kind of fun and kind of enticing. And you're just like, there. It's it's the best. It's it's perfect. It's the the greatest bad guy theme song that has ever existed. Yeah, I love it. Like you know, you go to like sporting events and like 
when the other team comes on the field, they'll play this song or something. You know what I mean? Just like, it's just like universal, like you said, universal bad guy association, just like play this music or a perfect ringtone. If there's someone you don't want calling you, you know, you put that, it's exactly. like a comedic effect, you know, like, <laughs> Oh, the spouse calls. And all of a sudden that music's playing. It's so great. And yet, it's not even Devin's number one. I know. So this, these were the two, like I said, I, I went back and forth between the two. But I think ultimately, number one, if you're going to talk about Star Wars music, there is there's one theme that immediately calls to mind Star Wars. And, and the reason I picked this one is because I think that it encapsulates the galaxy as a whole. This is uh, the main title uh, from A New Hope. It's incredible. It's perfect. It immediately takes you back to a long, long time ago in a galaxy yeah. far, far away. And the Star Wars logo coming up on screen in, in yellow against a, a black star field. Um, and the, the, the main title, the titles start to roll. And it is just, it immediately transports you to a galaxy far, far away. It is so perfect. It has this sort of like epic quality. You know, it has that sort of like, you're watching like an old timey serial adventure and you're going on an adventure to another galaxy. It just immediately transports you to another place. Um, it, the rest of the, the piece goes on and, and then it's sort of like the brass kind of fades out and then you get this sort of like beautiful, like secondary theme that plays throughout it. And it's just, it rules. Everything about it is, is perfect. Um, I love the, sort of uh like the reprise later on after the throne room and then it cuts into the main title again um and it's just it, when you think you ask someone sing the star wars theme song this is what they sing you know this is this is star wars in its purest form and it's it's just a perfect piece of music so again i think i, I think one two and three duel of the fates imperial march and the main title are all incredible pieces of music but if you're if you're picking the most Star Wars, the best Star Wars, this is you can't go wrong with with the main title. Yeah, yeah. There's no there's no wrong answer. I mean, I it's it's. I mean, I don't know about you, Devin, but like you and I, we've seen these movies like a bazillion times. Yeah. And I'll still like. So I went to see you know Return of the Jedi in the theaters a few weeks ago again. But even if I wasn't, even if I was literally just at home on my couch on a crappy TV. The second those words a long, long time ago in a galaxy far would come up and you know what's about to happen, you know that logo's about to jump on the screen, the music's gonna blur, like I get this like weird anticipation. Like I just get really excited just for that bah, that first note and that first logo. And then the crawl, it just gets me so giddy and excited. Like it's just such a just that moment. It's almost like in a weird way, even though these movies I love so much that everything else is almost like a disappointment after that first moment where like the music hits and the logo hits. And it's just so, just such an adrenaline rush. It's great. I mean, it, what else it really is. It really is an adrenaline rush. Like I remember sitting in the theater for in 2015 for the force awakens and like pretty much bursting into tears. Like when you hear the main title for the first time, you're like, Oh my God, I'm watching another star Wars movie. I'm going to a galaxy far, far away. Like there's something really, magical about it and something really otherworldly and it has this like you know full orchestra it's it, 
it's just extraordinary. I got lucky. I got to see John Williams perform at the Hollywood Bowl last year for um, his 90th birthday celebration. Um, and obviously he played this. He played the Imperial March. He played all the greatest hits. Um, I got to see him also. He performed briefly at Star Wars Celebration with the full orchestra. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, to me, uh, not to get sappy about it, but to me, that's what Star Wars is, is like, I think the music is so much of what we think of when we think of, of Star Wars and so much of the reason it works so well and so much of the reason it's had an emotional hold on so many of us for the past 40 years is because of the music and the way it makes us feel. And so it's, it's just, it's the best. I think it's the greatest film score of all time um, across, you know, all nine movies. Um, and it's, it's perfect. It's I'm going to go listen. I'm going to hang up on this podcast and immediately just go listen to it. <laughs> yeah, as well. You should. Uh, it's a good, it's a great soundtrack. And it's a great list. Uh, and if you want to read Devin's list, she's going to post it on EW.com. So you can check it out sort of in written form and get all her thoughts on these, these songs and the countdown. And you can argue there or argue here, like I said, um, but look, we're not done. We're not even close to being done because we are very fired up here for the upcoming Ahsoka, which is hitting Disney Plus in August. And it's time to get you fired up as well because I had a chance to chat with Rosario Dawson, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and Natasha Liu Bordizo, who play Ahsoka, Hera, and Sabine. And you can hear our entire chat right after this quick break. So we already know these characters from uh, from Rebels, uh, but Rosario, how, how would you describe what we're going to end up seeing on Ahsoka? Is this a, a good old-fashioned Ezra Bridger rescue mission, or what, what is Ooh. sort of the show? <laughs> well, you, you already know these characters from Clone Wars and now Rebels, um, and so I think with Ahsoka, you've seen her in Mandalorian and Boba Fett, and you know she's on the hunt for Grand Admiral Thrawn. Um, obviously, you know, Sabine made a promise and, you know, I think there's someone, uh, top of mind for us that we're looking for, but the, the man of the hour obviously is Thrawn and, uh, it's, it's kind of exciting to finally be here at Star Wars Celebration and see the back of his head (laughs) (laughs) on screen and know that we can finally talk about that. So did like these characters already existing in another form in, in a- animation, did you all kind of go back and watch that stuff, or did you want to start fresh with the live action? How did that work for each of you? It's, it's a bit of both. I, yeah. I watched it all with the intention of capturing, like you said, Mary, like the essence of the character and, and having almost like this free storage bank of memories to go from that they'd already worked so hard to create. So it was awesome as an actor to have that. But then live action's so different, so... I absorbed it all and then forgot it all at the same time. Mm, Somewhere in the balance of that. Yeah, I I agree. I think having a character who's already existed and has such a rich history on something like Rebels um, as an actor is just like, it's incredible because sometimes, you know, we're tasked with creating our own backstories or trying to flesh out a character that doesn't really have that much on the page. Mm. And so to play a character that just has like season after season mm. of storylines and complex histories with everyone in their life um, and relationships and experiences um, was really something I've never experienced something quite like that, um, mm. to have Rebels to refer to and to have Dave to speak to about it mm. every day on set um, was like a real luxury for sure. So in terms of you know Hera that we've seen before is definitely like a born leader. How would mm. you, how do you see Hera, your Hera? 
Uh, I see Hera as an incredibly strong um, but complicated person. I mean, she is very maternal, but also she's this leader of this crew. And as we see um, her, that she continues on and becomes a general, and so she's leading quite a lot of people, and she's become something of a legend in, in her own right. Um, but she's also very soft and warm, and people come to her for advice and solace and, and comfort. And I think seeing those things combined is very unusual um, mm. and something that I really wanted to, to play on screen because that's such an aspirational thing, I think, as a woman or as a, just a person to be able to be all of those things in one. Um, and she's certainly not perfect, um, but she does have all of those qualities that make her somebody that you can really kind of look up to in a way. And I, I like to try and to, to be that on film because I don't know that I, I quite live up to in reality, but but it's someone yeah, to try do. and try and reach for. You know, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Well, Natasha, we only saw really one scene of Sabine sort of in the future mm-hmm. uh, on on um, Rebels. So what is what is your Sabine like now? A few years past what we're used to seeing on the animated show. Um, she's been through a lot, and. She's still a stubborn cookie, but um, I think that you find her, you know, at the end of Rebels, she was a huge part of the liberation of Lethal, and many regard her as this hero, but she so does not feel that way about herself. She's only thinking about the obligation she has towards her friend. So she's got that mission in mind, not her hero status, and um, she's got a huge journey to go on with Ahsoka, so... We find her at the start of that. Rosario, I know Ashley Eckstein came to set, and you guys have seen each other at conventions and stuff. What's yeah. it like, the two meetings of the Ahsoka Minds? I mean, I, you know, have this volume and work um, and performance to go back to and these memories mm. and reflections in Clone Wars and Rebels with the work that Ashley Eckstein did. I mean, we got mm. to watch her grow and develop and the heart and the energy and the passion and the love that Ashley has brought to this character like any single time there's you know Tano Tuesday or any of these different things like she just goes off and she's just got this this history and this connection with the fans for so long so it was just absolutely remarkable to have her on set like we were beside ourselves and she came in and you know you could just see it in her eyes it's it's very similar to the look in Dave's eyes these are people who've been working in dark rooms with microphones and you know, and these animated characters for so long and to see it now three-dimensionally is, is, is pretty wild. And, you know, to have her energy there and her blessing on this show, I think, is everything because she's so much a part of this show. I mean, we, yeah. we literally religiously watch these episodes over and over again as homework, which is like <laughs> yeah. the easiest and the best homework the in best the world. Homework ever. <laughs> but it is like having memories, you yeah. know what I mean? And the inflection of the voice and the, and, and the heart and the love and... Um, you know, just just the commitment over so many years. I mean, she's a true believer. Mm-hmm. And and I think that heart is just lives on in this story and and to have Dave and her and guiding it to this next mm-hmm. space I think is really, really quite beautiful. And and it's nice to see the fans uh, appreciate that as well because it has been we've all been on this journey together for a long time and mm-hmm. now it's exciting to see where it goes next. Let's talk about lightsaber training. <laughs> Ahsoka's got a very unique style, which looks really cool, but I imagine it's pretty hard to master. So tell me about like all the training and getting that done. 
You know, I have to say is one of my favorite parts on this is all of the training because, you know, doing two hours a day, seven days a week um, was was pretty intense. And then you added when we were actually filming and doing these different Mm -hmm. battles and having to continue to be studying it. Mm -hmm. And there was definitely a, a time, a moment where you know, a few months into the training where I just it, I just felt it like land in my body in a way, you know, because she is ambidextrous like that was it was just a lot to kind of um, to kind of own. Mm-hmm. And and what's amazing about this character and that's been since the inception of her is just how confident and uh, just she's so she's so fierce from the very beginning it was never a question about like was she capable mm. you know she's she meets every single match just so head on she's just there's no hesitancy from her whatsoever and that's really different from someone who's learning martial arts in their 40s yeah. who's trying to protect their face and so <laughs> you know it was just like to have that moment I, I remember when it clicked in where I really felt grounded in her and and some of the stuff started feeling more familiar and seamless and then that's when I really felt like I locked into Ahsoka because I think her physicality is a tremendous part of who she is you know um, and and that that felt really really good I was grateful for the team of people that we have and to have someone like Ming and, and, and a lot of the fans would recognize Ming who you know did a lot of the coordinating and, and training for mm-hmm. all of us because um, she was in the very first episode of Obi-Wan she played uh, a Jedi master who was protecting all of the younglings. And we mm. that's how we, we were watching it and going, this is how you know it's fake. Because in real life, if she had a real lifesaver, she would have killed yeah. them all. And, it and all the younglings would have been safe and so fine. Because she's truly such a badass. And to have yeah. that moment where, you know, she wasn't looking at me like this, but actually started, you know, nodding and going, okay, this is this this can a work. A sliver this, of admiration. A sliver. I mean, you know. Slice. I think, what was it, the line she said? This one did not make my eyes hurt. I was yeah, the first compliment like that. that I got. And I was yeah. like, yes. I think I cried. I was like, thank you. Um, you know, and she's, she's just as she, you know, started studying martial arts when she was nine. Mm. You know, so she's, it's really in her body. And what yeah. is easy for her... Um, you know, is took a lot of effort on our part to make look easy. Um, and, and such so, a harsh, honest critic to have. Absolutely. Because everyone else is like, wow, it's amazing! And she's like... Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that felt good. Like, that felt really remarkable because that kind of discerning eye... Even yeah. talking to Dave, he's like, when I'm, you know, when I'm cutting it, I'm thinking, well, Ming like this. Yes. You know? yes. Like, is it, is it doing justification yeah. to what, the, you know, the, what she did? And I think that's really true for all of the crew. Like, mm. everyone really owned their space and worked beautifully with each other to just make sure every single detail of this was as rich and real mm. and powerful as it possibly could be. So as someone that, that uses the Force, your character, do you ever find yourself in real life trying to use the Force? Because Mary's husband, Ewan, told me that he <laughs> sometimes at the grocery store will do a Force wave by the automatic door to try and open it. And I don't know if she's <laughs> caught him doing that or not, but she says... I people- have definitely <laughs> caught him doing that. <laughs> I love that. So you haven't been caught doing that, Rosario? You know, um, You know, I definitely think about it a lot. I, you know, it would make a lot of things easier to be able to, you know use the force um, in, in real life. Um, but I think, you know, it's manifestation, really, right? Like, I think that's that's what it always feels like to me. It's the intention and the desire mm-hmm. behind it. And um, and it's the trust and the belief, you mm-hmm. know? And that, that's really the force for me. So I think that I feel like I have it more um, than someone who just wants to, like, you know, moves an object, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I, I definitely feel more powerful and confident 
um, assuming this character and portraying her, I think, as authentically as we possibly could. Yeah. Um, with all of this, just the storytelling, I think there's a lot of weight to it with, with people who've been in love with these characters for so long. And so I think, you know, there's just a part where you just have to truly believe and it's yeah. just the best kind of pretend. You know, yeah. I've, I've seen that before of like, you know, certain kind of poses or things that you can do to kind of build your confidence and there's there's something about that because even when you do it, it's, it's in yeah. your whole body. Like, you know, and that was something he would talk about. You know, it's not mm. like a toy. You know, Dave is like, it's not magic. You're not doing magic, you know? <laughs> and so I think that's, it's actually yeah. really nice because it feels really grounded. Yeah. And so I think it does show up like even just when I'm meditating, I feel that. Mm. I feel that there is an energy that we have and a power that we have that mm. if we do concentrate it and focus it in the right ways, can move mountains. Mary, what sort of advice did your husband give you when you signed up to come to the Star Wars galaxy? You know, he was just so happy and excited for me. He really was. It's like, he's just like, there's just nothing else like being embraced by this community, you know, and being a part of it. It's just such a special thing. And I think over the years, he's he's grown in his appreciation more and more and more and more. Um, so, and, and I've been able to witness that, um, to kind of see that grow in him and to see you know, his, the Obi-Wan series happen and, and the, the, how that felt for him um, and, and how it felt for him to be kind of to be greeting the fans and getting their response. And so to just to get to be a part of that world and to be a part of something that people care so much about and characters that, that people are so invested in, I think is um, is is such a special thing. So he's yeah, it's really it's it's kind of amazing that we get to be in this world together but not together you know it's I love that you're like a Star Wars fan I know, like, I know. Like, oh. when, when Obi-Wan was coming out and you were telling me like in the kind of anticipation of it coming up people just walking up like may the force be with you yeah like, oh, kind of walking away. it was so that. great like we'd be like, like security yes. guards especially at places we go to were just sort of you know they would they would give him like a little bit of special attention and then sort of go like may the force be with you but it was just when Obi-Wan was coming out like there was sort of this like special time that oh people were like God. we know it's coming we know it's coming and we want to tell you we approve it was like it was so nice <laughs> i love these characters I, I can't wait to see the show i really can't wait so thanks so awesome. much thank for you. Really appreciate it, guys. Thank, you. thank you thanks so much to rosario dawson mary elizabeth winstead and natasha liu bordizo for joining us this week that was fully awesome and we would appreciate it if you could also be fully awesome by telling your friends about the podcast and also following rating and reviewing you can also connect with us on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. It's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly using at Dalton Ross and at Devin Kogan. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>